We'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. As you're turning there, the Apostle Peter, in the beginning of his first letter, writes this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is our goal today. It's our goal each and every time we come together. That God would be glorified. We're going to be looking today at Genesis 45 verses 16 through 28, where we see some of the results or the joys of reconciliation that has taken place between Joseph and his brothers. As we've gone through this study of the story of Judah and Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50, we've seen how there are many connections between Joseph and his brothers and this story and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many times that it is displayed again and again and again and again throughout these texts. And so this morning as we look in Genesis 45 and the joys of reconciliation, we're also going to compare that with the joys that we experience because of reconciliation with God and where those joys come from. And the aim in that, again, is that He would be glorified. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 and read through the end of the chapter. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours." The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey." And he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray. Father, we come together this morning because of your great name. And because of your great grace. Apart from your grace, we would have no hope. Because of your grace, because of Jesus, we come in his name, holy and blameless before you. And so, 
We trust in You, Lord, even in our dependence and our brokenness. We trust in You that You would awaken us to the truths of the Gospel, to Your Word. We pray that You would open our eyes, that we could behold wonderful things from Your law. And that You would satisfy us with Yourself in this time, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. As we come to this section of Scripture, Joseph at this point has revealed himself to his brothers. They now know this is Joseph. This is the one we sold into slavery 22 years ago. And we saw in verse 15 two weeks ago that they embraced each other and spoke with one another. That's an amazing picture of reconciliation, and the result is clearly joy. There was, there was some fear in the brothers, and that is still to come. We'll see as we go through the rest of the text. But at the end of chapter 45 to verse 15 in that section, it says he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that his brothers talked with him. It's a wonderful picture of joy and reconciliation. And we saw in that text how this came about because Joseph was merciful to his brothers. He forgave them. In fact, verses 5 through 8, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph, in that setting, didn't give to his brothers what they deserved. He's merciful. It proclaims that God had brought him to that place. It was God who had done this to bring about the salvation of his family and many others. And today in the text, we see some of the results of that and some of the circumstances surrounding that. Verse 16, when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. You can imagine that the news, as incredible as it is, is spreading quickly. And so as Pharaoh hears of it and his servants hear it, it tells us that they were pleased. They were happy. They were joyful to hear about his brothers. Pharaoh, this sovereign ruler of Egypt, is pleased. It pleased him and his servants, we are told. Now think about that. There is nothing that these brothers have done to deserve for Pharaoh to look upon them with pleasure. The only cause for pleasure was their connection with Joseph. It was their position with Joseph. They were his brothers that brought joy and pleasure to Pharaoh, the sovereign ruler of Egypt. These brothers had done nothing to earn it. Up until that point, Pharaoh didn't even know about them. He didn't know them. And here, as they're connected to Joseph and he becomes aware of this, there is pleasure, there's joy from him concerning this circumstance. 
goes on in verses 17 through 23. We learn how, Joseph, how Pharaoh responds. He blesses them. Again and again and again, we see throughout this text the word provision, 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 provision. They're granted unmerited provision, this reward almost for nothing they have done or deserve. Oh, you're connected to Joseph? You may have all of these things. All of these things that are are reflective of Joseph and who he is, they're yours. Go, I'll provide for you. Pharaoh offers them the good of the land and also gives them provision for the journey and provision for their father. You consider the picture that we have here, even in the giving of the clothing to them. It's a picture, a display of reconciliation, of healing. Joseph's clothing had been central to his rejection. You remember the story? Even if you're jumping in this morning and, and, and haven't been here for this whole series through Genesis 37 through 50, you, you, you may know the story where Joseph was favored by his father. He's given this coat of many colors, and his brothers were so jealous of him and the favor that he received. And so they were angry with him, and they ended up selling him into slavery. And in doing so, they took that coat, and they tore it, and they dipped it into blood, and they brought it back to their father so that their father would think, Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. And so there's clothing that's central in his Rejection and now clothing is bestowed by Joseph in reconciliation. It's a, it's a picture of healing, of restoration, of being truly reconciled. And these brothers are blessed. They're given more than they need and far more than they deserve because they're connected to Joseph. Again, we see A third circumstance and blessing of reconciliation, protection. Again, in verses 18 through 24, we see this protection. In fact, even the encouragement that Joseph gives, which is so interesting, is they're going away. In verse 24, he sent his brothers away and they departed. He said to them, do not quarrel on the way. These are grown men. For me, I have five boys. I say things like that often. Hey, here's an idea. Don't fight. Stop fighting. Stop arguing. What do you... But imagine this for a second, okay? Consider the temptation for these brothers as they're going along to revisit the things that took place 22 years ago. You were the one who had the idea of killing him. You are the one who threw him into the pit. Well, it was your idea to sell him. 
We're, we're prone to that, right? We're, we're so prone to defending ourselves that whatever the circumstance, it could be the greatest joy, this picture of reconciliation and being reunited to this brother. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't take anything before we begin to defend ourselves and protect ourselves. And, and certainly that's what Joseph here is protecting these brothers from. He's protecting them from one another. So there's this picture of protection for these brothers as they're going out against the temptations toward evil against one another. But ultimately, there's this promise of protection, this promise of keeping them safe and cared for forever. They will dwell in the best of the land of Egypt. They will be kept there Verse 18, come to me and I will give you the best of the land and you shall eat the fat of the land. That's a promise of protection for years and years and years to come. Verse 20, have no concern for your goods. Don't even worry about what you're bringing with you because what I'm giving to you is far better than anything you've ever had. It's an amazing and joyful picture we have in this text of reconciliation. We haven't even talked about Jacob yet. This is all before Jacob hears anything. Verses 25 through 28. So they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob, revived, and Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What a moment. You can imagine the initial shock, right? How would anyone respond to that kind of news? 22 years. 22 years. And because of that, maybe you notice there's something missing in verses 26 and 27. Where's this question? Uh... What about the bloody robe you brought me 22 years ago? What about that, boys? We get nothing. It's not recorded. Certainly, surely, there's more to the story than what we get here, right? There's, there's more that happens than what we see here. But the purpose here in this context is forgiveness and reconciliation. And so the Lord, through Moses, doesn't record those things. And we don't need them. Because the purpose is forgiveness and reconciliation. And again, our goal is in the words of Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You consider Jacob. You consider the things that he said Previously, in chapter 37, verse 35, I shall go down to Sheol, to the grave. 
to my son mourning. The rest of my days will be days of mourning and grief, and I will go to the grave to my son mourning. And you remember in this that Egypt is known and seen as the land of graves. And so Jacob now is this picture that is complete transformation. He will indeed go down to the land of graves. He will go to graves. But with great joy rather than sorrow. Everything, everything is changing for him in this moment. It is a picture of joyful reconciliation. And here for Jacob, resurrection. The joy of resurrection. His son, who had been dead, is now alive. For 22 years, he had lived in mourning and grief, assuming that this son was dead. And now... This statement, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What hope and joy this brings. I want to relate this to the gospel. It's the question we ask each week as we're going through here. What does this have to do with the gospel? If you're a visitor... I'm trying to say this as often as I can throughout this series. It's how we want you to read the Scriptures. Jesus doesn't happen beginning in the New Testament. All of the Scriptures, all of the Scriptures are pointing to Him. You go to Luke chapter 24 as Jesus is raised from the dead and walking on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And it says that He talked with them and showed them from all of the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. All they had was the Old Testament then. And so even as we're reading through the Old Testament, we want to ask ourselves, what does this have to do with the Gospel? How does this relate to the Gospel? What are the Gospel implications for us today from Genesis 45? And so to do that, I want to review the text from that perspective. And then I want to look at Peter's words in 1 Peter 1. Because there are similarities that we see. The brother's connection and reconciliation with Joseph and our connection and reconciliation with Jesus. In Genesis 45, we see four connections with the reconciliation to Joseph. The first, as I mentioned already, is forgiveness. It's mercy. Joseph is merciful, thereby enabling reconciliation with the brothers. If Joseph is not merciful in chapter 45, if he deems out the condemnation that these brothers deserve, then there's no reconciliation. Unless he's forgiving and merciful, there's no hope of them being truly reconciled. And so we see this picture of mercy But secondly, we see this connection and picture through sovereign delight. Verse 16, Pharaoh, the sovereign ruler of Egypt, delights in this relationship between Joseph's brothers, no matter what their past was, and Joseph himself. And because of that connection now with Joseph and who he is, he doesn't even ask questions about the past. 
He just delights in who they are. That's undeserved delight. Third, we see this connection with the provision that is given to these brothers, unmerited reward. Because of their connection with Joseph, they are sent out with all that they need. And then fourth, as we mentioned, is protection. These brothers are sent and promised protection forever. And those truths that we've looked at, we can see those same truths, the same joys and circumstances concerning reconciliation for those of us who are found in Christ. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses. As we consider the joys and displays of reconciliation between Joseph's brothers and himself. Consider that as it relates to those of us connected to Jesus. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Now, Peter begins this section with that proclamation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we stop and consider that, and consider the circumstances of those who were receiving this letter, that statement might be surprising. Because if you're familiar with the book of 1 Peter, just as Joseph and his brothers have this tumultuous past the recipients of Peter's letter had a very difficult circumstance presently. They were a dispersed church. You see that in the very intro. To those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion, they're dispersed because of what? Because of great, severe persecution. You read the entire letter of 1 Peter and you realize that things were very, very difficult to them. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as if something strange is happening to you. Peter says things like that to the recipients of this letter. Severe persecution. They they suffered under the rule of the day. Because of their connection with Jesus. 
And so it's as if Peter is writing to them here in the beginning of this letter, I know, I I know that your wounds are still obvious from the beatings. I know that you're all alone in this world. I know that you have no earthly home. You've been spread abroad because of your connection with Jesus. But, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there are reasons He gives for that. Reasons for glorifying God. Joyful connections we see with Joseph and his brothers. The same four we mentioned for Joseph and his brothers. We see here that Peter is pressing upon us as those who are in Christ. Even those in the circumstances that these in First Peter are experiencing. And first again is mercy. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. It is because of His great mercy that any person is saved. Yes, we mentioned with Joseph that the the catalyst and the enabling of the reconciliation is solely because Joseph is merciful. They've not earned reconciliation. But he's merciful. He's forgiving. And in the same way, whatever you think about your past... It is only because the Lord is merciful that you can be reconciled to God. Only because of mercy. And just as Joseph's brothers deserve for him to seek justice against them, so do we. We deserve justice, which in our case means condemnation, punishment. But God is merciful, and so He justifies by condemning not us, but Jesus Christ on the cross. It doesn't say in First Peter, according to our great worth, according to our impressiveness, according to our ability to walk out faith, according to His great mercy, So we have this connection with Genesis 45. Jesus is merciful, far more merciful than Joseph. Secondly, just as we saw with Joseph and his brothers, this picture of sovereign delight. Remember, Pharaoh delighted in these brothers not because of who they were or what they had done, but because of their connection and affiliation with Joseph. The same is true for us. God's delight is solely based on Jesus. Remember Paul's words. Our righteousness is nothing. Isaiah says it's like filthy rags. It's nothing. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, we're holy and blameless before Him because he tells us in Romans that we've been counted righteous. We've been credited with righteousness. There's nothing we have done except be connected to Jesus. It's our affiliation with Jesus that brings delight from the sovereign God. 
God, because of Jesus, sovereignly delights in those who are connected to His Son, Jesus. And Peter highlights this sovereignty here. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He wasn't manipulated by us to a living hope. He caused us to be born again to a living hope. He shines His delight upon us. He delights in us even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Paul says. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So there's there's no worth, there's nothing we deserved. It's simply because of our affiliation with Jesus, our connection with Him. That's God's undeserved kindness toward those who are in Christ, toward those Christ died to save. And what does that result in? Similar to Joseph's brothers, provision, blessing. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We're raised to life. That's what he says in verse 3 just before that. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and gives us this inheritance, provision, provision that is undeserved, provision that is unearned, just granted to those who are in Christ. We're given an inheritance, Peter says, that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. That's not like any earthly inheritance that will perish or fade or be used up. It's eternal, Peter's saying. It lasts forever. It will never perish. It will never fade. It is far greater than the great statement that's given to Jacob and Joseph's brothers. Don't worry about your stuff. Don't don't worry about what you're going to bring. I have much more for you. And that's the hope for those who are in Christ. When Joseph's brothers received provision for their journey and for their future, and in the same way the Lord provides for those who are His, those who are brothers of Jesus Christ because of His mercy and grace. And lastly, just as we see with Joseph and his brothers, there's protection. Not only is our inheritance secure, Peter assures us we are secure. We are secure. He is guarding us, Peter says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being guarded. You're being protected. We are secure. If God has caused us to be born again by His mercy and grace, He will not permit us to be unborn. It's just as Jude says so wonderfully at the end of that short, 
short letter in verses 24 and 25. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I can assure you, I have no ability or will apart from God, to stay with Him. I don't have the strength. I don't have the desire at times. None of us do. If it were up to us, we would all be lost. And that is the great joy of what Jude is proclaiming here. He is able to keep you. He is able to present you blameless with great joy before His presence. So in a greater way than Joseph's brothers and father, we are protected. We are secure. There is in Genesis 45 this evidence of great joy because of reconciliation. Mercy, sovereign delight, provision, and protection. In the same way, our reconciliation, those things ought to be joy-filled. That's what Peter's saying here. As soon as he makes this great statement about our security and our place with Jesus and what comes because of that, what does he say? These next words, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy. Reconciliation brings joy. Those realities ought to bring a deep-seated joy, Peter is saying. If you've been reconciled, you will be joy-filled. That's just what reconciliation does. You multiply that by infinity when we're talking about a reconciliation with the holy God of the universe. Not this little teeny joy. He says, you will know a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When you consider in Genesis 45 this reconciliation and these brothers, the relief, the relief, just the relief the guilt that they've already expressed, that they've carried for all of these years and now have, have expressed to Joseph and the relief that must have come when he said, don't trouble yourselves. Don't. God did this. It was God. The relief that would bring joy that they must have experienced in verse 15 of chapter 45 as as Joseph weeps over them and they talk with their brother after so many years. What Peter is saying is 
Consider that with our eternity that we have been given. There's joy that comes. Oh, that we would know the true joys of reconciliation with God. It is just as real as the joys experienced by Joseph and his brothers and his dear father, Jacob. Can you imagine? That's joy. That's true joy. And what Peter is saying is, if you've been reconciled, if, if, you've, been, if you've been given mercy and grace by God, where is the joy Joy inexpressible and filled with glory. One of the ways we can express the joy of being reconciled to God as as a people, as a congregation, is through the Lord's Supper. In fact, in Luke 22, we get this picture where the Lord Jesus is sitting around the table with the disciples, and it says that He said to them that He earnestly desired to eat the Passover meal with them. And we get the sense from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that that's that's the way we ought to approach the Lord's Supper. That we ought to earnestly desire it. That we ought to have a joy that's in us because of it. Yes, there's this this very real, ongoing remembering. We're we're called to be obedient, to remember that it was Jesus' body that was broken and His blood that was shed. But we're on the other side of that. And so there's a joy that comes as we remember that. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That is a joyful expression. These symbols are symbols of reconciliation. That because His body was broken for you, and because His blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, you're reconciled to God. That's a joyful thing. And so even as we prepare our hearts, as we sing and hold the bread in the cup, we want to do that in a way that remembers rightly. There's nothing that we did to deserve this. But God is merciful and has shown sovereign delight for those who are connected to Jesus and has provided treasure forever, kept in heaven for us, and has promised a protection. You are guarded forever and ever and ever to be His. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. You are good, and all that You do is good. In the midst of circumstances that can be confusing and distracting and as we look at our culture, as we look at the things around us, 
we know that the words of Peter are true. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that our circumstances don't dictate that truth, Lord. It's just who you are. That you've accomplished what is needed for our reconciliation with you. And therefore, you're to be glorified. You are to be praised. And so I pray, even as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, that you would help us to remember truly. Apart from you, we could do nothing, Jesus. Because of you, we are holy and blameless before you. And there is a joy unspeakable, one that we've never ever known apart from you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen.